Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Good morning, Jesus 911 on Virgin Most Powerful Radio, Ruben Nava, along with Jesse Romero. Although you can't see him, he's not on camera today, but uh, he's joining us uh, on the Comrex. So, Jesse, good morning. How are you doing, sir? Reporting for duty, sir. 10 8 for Jesus. Amen, Jess. Jesse, well, uh, you know, Memorial Day, Memorial Weekend, you know, a lot of people think of it just as a, hey, just another weekend just to um, have a barbecue, get an extra day off from work. And, but yesterday, you know, and especially in the times that we're living, you know, it really uh, it hit home for me the, the, the fact that, you know, those have, who have paid the ultimate price have given their life for our freedoms and, just the ability to just to even do this radio show, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it's, uh, quite the price and, and, I, you know, I honor them and absolutely. Uh, mm. Let me just say one thing about, uh, Memorial day. Just as I, you know, now that I'm 60, I look back and I look at back at my life and I look at back at our country as well, Ruben, I honor every single young man and woman that's served this country in any capacity in any four branches of the service. But I will tell you this, and it's been, uh, it's, um, uh, I'm more convinced of this. Uh, and you can see it just the other day when George Bush gave a speech and he was, he was talking about, oh yeah, and this one guy that went to a country uh, and, and to, to, uh, to invade a country, which was Iraq, ooh, ooh, oops, Ukraine. What am I saying? I'm saying that the young people that serve this country in our services are heroes. They're brave. Right. The people that run these wars are monsters. They are evil. And most of these people will fry in hell forever. There are very few wars in this country that have been just wars. Yeah. Most of these wars, Ruben, are being manufactured by the industrial war complex, uh, Boeing, Lockheed, uh, you know, uh, you know, Raytheon. Uh, it's a big money-making machine for these billionaires. Absolutely. These pers- these people are going to pay the ultimate price when they die. But the young people that sign on the dotted line, God bless them because they have, they, they embody what Jesus Christ says. Uh, there is no greater love than this, and a man should be willing to lay down his life for another. Amen. Yeah, that is right, and that's. So uh, anyway, I just got a little personal right now, Ruben. I that's, mean, just that's, that's you know, right. no, no. What I did you did you have you heard did you hear Bush what he said in a speech? I did. I heard a clip from it. Yeah, yeah. Just, he basically was talking about you know, he was trying to criticize uh, Putin and Russia, but instead of saying invade Ukraine, he said invade Iraq. Oops, yeah. invade you. In, in other words, what he was accusing Putin of is exactly what he did, mm-hmm. and, and 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 he laughed about it. Oh yeah, we still haven't found ho 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 weapons of mass destruction. How many people are walking out with, well, without legs and 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 uh, and, and arms? Man. And all he could do is just laugh. Yeah, we still haven't found those weapons of mass destruction. It's a joke to these guys, Ruben. They're going to pay for it. They sure will. They sure will. Just and then uh, you know, there was a time when I when I thought he was a good guy. You know, yeah, and, me too. And but well, we were wrong. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, he was better than the opposition. I mean, but since not by much. Hey, let me mention something real quick before we get into today's topic. Uh, 
We're going to have a Catholic Men's Fellowship uh, night out here in, uh, in the desert in Mesa, uh, June 11th, from 7 to 11 p.m. at Vertucio Farms. It's about, about 25 acres. We're going to have a bonfire with about 200 Catholic men. Join us for fun, food, and fellowship. Bring your rosary. We're going to do uh, pray, pray the rosary out in the desert. Uh, you know, underneath the underneath the the, the beautiful uh, Arizona uh, nighttime sky, and I'm going to give a talk there around the bonfires called "How the Devil Influences Politics, Education, Morality, and Social Action." So uh, join us. That's June 11th. Uh, to, uh, this uh, two weeks from 7 to 11 p.m. at Vertucho Farms in Mesa, Arizona. Oh, you'll be out in the desert. You're going to be bringing your Second Amendment friends there, Jess. Oh, Brube, that's <laughs> nothing but Second Amendment guys. You're going to think it. You're going to think this is good. <laughs> Yeah, you're going to think you entered into, uh, you know, you walked into Fort Bragg military base or something. <laughs> That's cool. No, guys out here just, they, the guys out, out here just walk with their rifles in many places, just slinging around their their shoulder. And it's it's nothing. You know, people just like walking into the store and say, hey, well, hey, how's it going? So it's just, it's uh, open carry? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I, I, I thought it was yeah. concealed carry, but I didn't know. Both. Mm. You can do both. Mm. Yeah. I think I, as a cop, I think I'd rather see it open carry because, you know, concealed. Uh, I get it. Yeah. yeah, I know. I don't know how my, my, my boys do it, but they, they go, Dad, we're actually glad a lot of people carry guns out here. So, mm. uh, you know, the, the cops are actually in, 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 very favorable to people packing. Yeah. Well, where we work, Jesse, everybody carried guns. They just weren't supposed to. Exactly. All right. Hey, Ruben, this topic is right down your alley. Okay. Let's, you go ahead. Tell us about it, man. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I believe there's a short little article, then we'll talk about it. Uh, let, let's just let me just share the article because I think this article is spot on, I, and I think this is something I've been thinking about for a long time. It's called Freemasonry and the Traditional Latin Mass. Have you ever wondered why there's such opposition from within the church to the traditional Latin Mass? It is certainly a question worth pondering, especially since the TLM has been explosive, has seen explosive growth. Over the last decade, the youth are flocking to it. Traditional order seminaries are overflowing, and majority of TLM parishes are standing room only. Survey comparisons show that TLM parishioners contribute more to their parishes, follow church teaching on divorce and marriage and contraception, abortion, homosexual marriage, and reception of the sacraments much more closely than their counterparts. Go ahead. True. Um, the, the, the dislike often persecution from within is quite mind boggling until you understand the Freemasonic infiltration of the church. And if the devil and his army, the Freemasons seek to eliminate our salvation and the statistics bear out that people attending the TLM align lives, align their lives more closely with Catholic teaching, would it not stand to reason that Freemasonry would want the TLM eliminated? And Latin is the official language of the church and is an immutable theological tight language. It, it was the language used in the exorcisms until recent, recently precisely because it is not a living language. So the truth of its meaning is unchanging. Thus, it is a powerful weapon against the diabolical as the ethereal spirit, spiritual battles are battles of truth. Understanding Freemasonry as Satan's army the conspiracy against Catholicism would most assuredly include an attack upon its most powerful form of worship. This is what makes sense to me right here, this sentence. Well, everything does. The Mass. Indeed, the Mass in both forms and the one form of worship most pleasing to God the Father. Saint Ger yeah, so let me just make a comment there. If The power 
that flows throughout the world mm-hmm. comes from God's grace. Well, God's grace is mediated through the Catholic Mass. Mm-hmm. That's called sanctifying grace, and it's mediated throughout the world through every altar in the Catholic Church. The Freemasons, who have infiltrated the Catholic Church, we know this because we have several people in books that have been written on this. Right. I'm thinking about uh, Elta Vendita. I'm thinking about uh, uh, AA Apostle 1025. I'm thinking about... Um, uh, there's several uh, goodbye good men. Uh, there's several books that have documented very and Father Murr, our own friend here in the in, in Virgin Most Powerful, he just came out with a book. I'll, I'll give you his title. He just came out with a book also uh, highlighting the infiltration of Freemasonry inside the Catholic Church. Oh yeah, Taylor Marshall also in his book uh, he has a chapter on that on yep. his book infiltration. So this is this is not something that's even open to discussion anymore. This is a fact. This is a historical fact that we've been infiltrated. Oh, yeah, Baladad told us that we'd be infiltrated as well mm-hmm. with communism, which basically is one and the same. So my, my take is, Ruben, is that the devil knows he couldn't destroy the mass. And so what he did is he's tried to weaken it. In other words, take away the AR-15 from everybody here in this platoon and give them a twenty-two rifle. I mean, we, we couldn't take away the weapon completely because then we'd be exposed. Uh, but, but at least make sure that we're giving them uh, a minimal arsenal to fight us with. Mm-hmm. That's the best analogy I can give at what happened at Vatican II. They, they couldn't destroy the mass totally because again, Christ has promised uh, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. I will send you the Holy spirit that will lead you into all truth. There's too many promises from scripture uh, as the Baltimore Catechism says, that the church is indestructible. That's one of the promises from Scripture. The indestructibility of the church and the indefectibility of the church. But it doesn't mean it can't be weakened. And, and that's exactly what I believe happened at Vatican II. And this this article, I think, highlights it very well. Yeah. Not only weakened, too, but they, they, the way they... <clears throat> it's continually changing, you know. So it's it, it's getting even weaker because of what they're promoting in there and uh it's every man for themselves and you know one parish to another you you don't have the same two things going on it's there's there's no order and and the devil doesn't like he likes disorder so it's you know and the things that uh, that are promoting you know uh you know uh, communion to the to non-catholics to divorced and remarried all those things that are that are going on and in uh, various parishes, and so yeah, it, it has weakened the, the 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 mass. And and when I look at the TLM, I, it's it's never changing. It, you you can go from one place to another, and it, it's the same. You know, right? You know, maybe one priest sings uh, the you know the song mass a little better than the, the other guy, but you know, it's uh it's continuous. It's 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 perfection. You know, I don't know why they had to tamper with it. Well, I know why, but they... We know why. Yeah. <laughs> All we'll, right. We'll, conti- we'll continue this topic. Let's do it. On the other side of the break, we're going to continue this. Freemasonry and the TLM. Now, back to Jesus 911. 
If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911 on Virgin Most Powerful Radio, two-man car, Jesse and Ruben, and uh, we're talking about the the TLM and, and Freemasonry, so, and what it is, its effect on, on the traditional Latin Mass, and why are they trying to uh, do away with it? They're trying to destroy it. Those people who are uh, have infiltrated our church, um, Jesse. So we're uh, we were we were going over this article, and we're going to continue making comments. But um, Saint, where we left off here, Saint Jerome's Vulgate is the official translation of the Bible. Thus, Latin is the church's original and official language. Would not Freemasonry want in the strong supernatural graces that flow from such a powerful form of worship? If we're not about freedom of cultural expression within the mass why is the mass that was celebrated for 1500 years the only licit form of worship that is actively sought to be suppressed especially given its evangelistic success and that was quoted in the in the, in the first paragraph where the the masses are busting at the seams i know at at, uh, at our parish they had to add a, a second latin mass and um during covid there was a third because they they wanted even uh they was they wanted people spread out. Um, but since Freemasonry aims to limit the true worship of God, could the TLM be a threat to organized naturalism's attempt to eliminate supernatural grace from flowing into the world? Jess? Jess, you there? I guess we lost Jess. Okay. But while cultural circumstances may be contributing to the miserable outcomes of the, for the church after Vatican II for the church and the world, could it be that we have shut off one of the most powerful means of grace. That's the Mass. So the church is dying from within, having withered the vine. And uh, th- these attempts to um, suppress it, um, you know, with, with with the Pope's latest statements on uh, and, and giving the power to the bishops to, to control it, who gets to say it, and uh, basically having to ask for, for permission. From, yeah. So, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. Since, uh, yeah, since Freemasonry aims to eliminate uh, the true worship of God, let me go to the next paragraph. While cultural circumstances may be contributing to the miserable outcomes of the church after Vatican II for the church and the world, could it be, I like this sentence here, could it be that we've shut off one of the most powerful form means of grace? <laughs> yeah. So the church is dying from having, from within having withered the vine. Since Our Lady prophesied that Freemasonry, Freemasonry would infiltrate the church, and since Freemasonry seeks to eliminate supernatural grace from entering the world. See, that, that's the key right there. That's what I said in the beginning of the show. Freemasonry seeks to eliminate supernatural grace from entering the world. They know it doesn't come from the Protestants or the Muslims or the Jews. It comes from the Catholic Mass. Mm-hmm. And so instead of a fire hydrant that we had with the TLM, now we got, you know, like sprinklers, you know, with, with the Novus Ordo Missy. It's like, you know, it's like sprinklers, you know, it's, you know, it, water's coming out, but it's not, it's not as powerful. The, 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 the supernatural grace is not as powerful again, because a lot of the prayers have been redacted. Uh, and just again, when, when, when something is celebrated with less reverence, people are going to walk away with less grace. The, it says here. The suppression of the TLM seems to be a prime target given the successful limitations placed upon the TLM by Rome. We should look to where grace is suppressed within the church to see the Freemasonic influence. Who are the Freemasons? 
by the way, just just uh, in case you're wondering, people are saying, who are these guys talking about? Mm. They, the birth of Freemasonry was started in June 24th, 1717. Uh, they were called the Grand Lodge of England. That was the first Masonic temple. And they used to take Masons, you know, uh, construction workers, uh, and, and they, they built this grand structure to be like a big old boys club. But then they started bringing in intellectuals, some of the intellectual Protestant class. And with the intellectuals, they started bringing in uh, occult practices like Kabbalism, Gnosticism, uh, Rosicrucianism, Illuminati. They, these, these elites started bringing in uh, occult-type practices into the Freemasonry. Mm-hmm. And these guys were very powerful. Again, you have the intellectual class, you have the working class together. Uh, they, they, they pulled their money together. And essentially, their, their main goal was uh, the eradication of the Catholic Church. They saw the Catholic Church as their, as their enemy. And so one of the things that the Freemasons have always promoted is, is a Latin phrase. It's called solve et coagula. Solve et coagula, which means, which means we must dissolve and coagulate. Or in other words, it means we got to break something down before we build it up again. That's exactly what's happening here, Ruben, with this Build Back Better under Biden. It's a, it's a Masonic uh, scheme. We've got to tear something down and then build it back up again. That comes from the Freemasons. So when you hear... When you hear Obama with his, what was his, uh, what was his slogan for president? It was, it was something similar. Well, Biden's is build back better. That completely comports with Freemasonry. Freemasonry, they want to bring in a new world order. They don't like this present order, right? This present order was started by the Catholic Church, Western civilization, especially this order of, of, of one nation under God. Uh, the fact that in God we trust, the, the fact that we believe, Western civilization is a civilization based on belief that there is a God, a supreme being. They want to tear that down. Yeah. They want this new world order without God, where th- that we're, we're all just universal brothers, and what binds us together are these Masonic ideals to, to dominate the world. Uh, you know, we have to drive God out. And we have to make sure that we take over the courts, the schools, the government, uh, and, and all the levers of power and, and make sure that we, we make them secular. Uh, in other words, we just look to human beings for the answer. The answer lies within human beings, not with God or with the church. Yeah. That's, that's Freemasonry. That's right, Chess. It's no, it's no wonder why the, uh, the church had to change their code of canon law in 1917, you know, uh, after, uh, the, they they're trying to do every do away with things that were traditional and things that are um that, that keep us united and and what what this pope is saying here is that we're you know they're not first of all they're not teaching latin in, in the you know in the seminaries very much oh, no. very very oh, no. seldom yeah. so they don't it's not being passed on and uh so people are losing that the priests that are getting uh coming in now they, they've lost a, a lot of sense of the uh, of tradition so uh, and then with this with this uh target on our backs here 
being able they're calling us it, it, it what the, the pope is doing to us is it's it's nothing different than what our politicians were doing with us like uh what uh you know hillary clinton was calling uh, calling us all um what it what was she what was that term during the election she was uh, deplorables, deplorables but, yeah something deplorables. yeah and, and so we're we're kind of made to feel the same way with our church at once we they know that we we go to this the, to the latin mass and that's called gaslighting. They're gaslighting this, Ruben. That's exactly what they're doing. And what gaslighting means, it, it means with somebody in a position of power, uh, they, they insult you and they and they insult you with the with the purpose of making you question your sanity. They make you think like, man, I must be goofy for going to the Latin mass. Mm-hmm. I must be kind of a nerd. You're right. What, what's, what's the matter with me? I, there's something wrong with me. That's called gaslighting. And that's exactly what they're doing to a lot of us. Ruben, there's been papal condemnations against Freemasonry. I think the first the first papal condemnation was in 1738 by Pope Clement the the twelfth, and they were consistent until Pope Benedict the sixteenth. He was the last pope to condemn Freemasonry. In fact, the Pope Benedict the sixteenth in 1983 said, "The faithful who enroll in Masonic associations are in a state of grave sin and may not receive Holy Communion." But uh, well, it, was, there, it was an automatic uh, excommunication just to, to be involved in Freemasonry. But with this Pope, Ruben, yeah. there's been silence. Yeah, there's been silence. And I say that with a lot of pain. I'm not I'm not saying this with glee. I'm saying this as a Catholic because I love the church. I'm saying this with pain. But um, St. Maximilian Colby, he warned us about this. He He published an account back in 1939. He said that in the years leading up to the war, the Masonic clique disapproved on several occasions by the sovereign pontiffs governed in Rome, the capital of Christianity, with ever greater impudence. The Masons did not even hesitate to brandish in the streets of the city of Rome during the festivities in honor of Giordano Bruno, a black flag showing the Archangel St. Michael beneath the feet of Lucifer. Still less did they hesitate to brandish Masonic insignia beneath the windows of the Vatican a reckless hand felt no repugnance in writing, quote, Satan will rule the Vatican and the Pope will serve him in the, in the uniform of a Swiss guard and other things of that kind, close quote. So that's why St. Maximilian Colby founded the, the Militia Immaculata back in uh, 1917. He did this because he saw the rise of Freemasonry and the fact that they're trying to destroy not only all religions, but specifically the Catholic faith. Yeah. When I started mentioning the canon, uh, code of canon law, it's interesting that in, in you know after it, the new one came out in 1983, they the canon 1374, it, it's been changed. It, it says a person who joins an association which plots against the church is to be punished with a just penalty. One who promotes or takes office in such an association is to be punished with an interdict. <laughs> you know, it. Mm. Uh, uh, it was automatic, uh, you know, um, excommunication, you know, uh, what's the term? Latte, uh, we're sententia, sententia. So they didn't even have to tell you, you were, uh, you were excommunicated, it would, you know, and here it is that they were allowing this stuff to, uh, yeah. fester, to go along right alongside, you know, all the, the teachings of the church. It's, uh, it's disgraceful. Ruben, Freemasonry is, is uh, it can be even very spiritually dangerous to the soul because Father Ripperger says that some of the worst cases that he's seen around the country, and he gets the worst cases. Oh, that's he gets the worst ones. The worst ones go to him because that's what he does full time. Remember, most exorcists are diocesan priests 
And so they're basically doing this in between parish work, in between doing whatever, you know, counting money and, you know, whatever else they have to do in a parish life. Mm-hmm. Father Ripperger does this full time. This is all he does. So when a diocese, a diocese has a horrible case that they're saying, man, we're making no progress here, they send it to him. So they send him all the turd balls. I mean, literally the worst cases in the United States. He says that the worst cases he's ever seen are Freemasonic possession. In fact, there's even in his book, uh, Deliverance Prayers for Lady, there's a there's a, a prayer that he has Freemasons before he even sees them. He, they have to renounce Freemasonry three times in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Uh, and it's it's a very long prayer, and it's very specific because uh, in that prayer, basically the, the the theology of the Freemasons is that when you get to the 33rd degree, it's been revealed to you that, that the great architect that you've been praying to is Satan. And so he has to make them renounce uh, this great architect, which is Lucifer. Amen. Yeah. And I'm glad he does that because, yeah, there's... <clears throat> well, we got a break coming up. We're going to be changing gears here. We're going to be switching gears and... Um, we're going to be going over. Just Talk about some good stuff. <laughs> be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, we are back. Uh, I think what I was going to uh, mention was uh, the architect of, the, of Vatican II, Jess Anabolic Bugnini, and uh, the fact that he was a Freemason. And that, that's not uh, a matter of speculation. He, there was, he left uh, his, his briefcase behind in a Roman meeting room, and when it was opened and discovered, uh, they, they saw that it, had, it would clearly identified the owner, Anabolic Bugnini, and it, is, it was discovered to contain documents implicating him as a member of the Freemasons. And uh, when it, it was brought to the attention of uh, Pope Paul the Sixth, then they said, you, "You've got to do something, or we're going to make this public." So he, so he, of course, he had to banish him, even though that was his, uh, you know, that was his his boy. His boy. Yep, that was the. It was the one who he brought back after after uh, John the Twenty Third had had you know dismissed him. And Paul VI brought him back. So, anyway, uh, we're going to yeah, talk- Ruben Anibal Bonini. He was the ar- the chief architect of the liturgical reforms at Vatican II. He was yep. it, it, it based the buck stopped with him, mm-hmm. and uh, he was not. Uh, uh, again, there's a lot of evidence from historians, and I'm not just talking about. We're not talking about lightweights here. I'm talking about very respected historians. Uh, that say that he was a Freemason, and the last book that just came out, it just Father uh, Charles Murr just came out with a book. I'll I'll try to look it up right now, but uh, in there he documents exactly what you just said right now. Well, it's yeah. uh, it, he was it's in very well documented. Yeah. Well, yeah, he was there. He was one of the. He was a young. He was young, fresh out of seminary. Right. And uh, he was. And so no, no, nobody contests this no more, Ruben. No, nobody that that has any any integrity contests the fact that he was a Mason. Yeah. How did he get there? Again, we have no idea, but I know I know one thing. Uh, he's already been judged, and I'm going to tell you some of the things that he's done to the church. Uh, it, it's, it, 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 I would hate to have been at that judgment because you don't mess with the church of Jesus Christ. You don't mess with the holy sacrifice of the mass. And uh, what he did is something that he's already uh, he's already answered for. Yeah, that's right. Correct. 
So uh, we're going to switch gears, talk about uh, carbon dating, carbon 14 dating, and, and, and that it's outdated. There's been a new, new evidence that defends authentic, the authenticity of the Shroud of Turin. And uh, this is something that a lot of us don't know a whole lot about. You haven't taken a lot of time to, to look at, at the in, information on the Shroud. Some people have. You probably have, Jesse. Uh, yeah. I have not, on the other hand, but uh, it was interesting to, to note that uh, an Italian scientist has, has conducted new tests demonstrating that the Shroud of Turin dates from the first century AD in stark contrast to the much promoted 1988 carbon 14 dating study, which claimed that the Shroud was only from the Middle Ages. Um, now, Dr. Liberato De Caro from Italy's Institute of Crystallography of the National Research Council in body has spent nearly 30 years studying the Shroud of Turin together with a team of researchers. He recently tested fibers from the Shroud using the wide-angled X-ray scattering. It's, so it's, it's called the WAX method. This, uh, this manner of research examines the, the natural aging of the cellulose that uh, constitutes the linen of the investigated sample to provide age estimates. So the findings from Dr. DeCarl research published April 11th note that the, the testing results of the thread sample taken from the shroud were fully compatible with analogous measurements obtained on a linen sample whose dating according to historical records is 55 to 74 AD, which is coming from the siege of Masada in Israel. Ruben, and it's, you know what it is? It's the left that wants to make sure, they're, they're trying to make sure that they use false signs to discredit the Shroud because the Shroud of Turin, we maintain by faith and by the tradition of the church that it's the burial cloth, cloth of Jesus Christ. Right. And, and so this is, this is why there's this, you know, this big medical, you know, again, just like we know even in our country, medicine has been politicized. And if you don't believe it, then you've got to, uh, you've got to wake up and smell the coffee. The Shroud of Turin mm -hmm. is attacked by the left as fake using carbon dating. Uh, the sh and by the way, the religious left and the political left, these guys are they, they're connected right at the hip. The Shroud is the full linen burial cloth in which our Lord was wrapped after the crucifixion while lying in the tomb. In excess of 13 feet long and 4 feet wide, it bears the undeniable marking of a man front and back with wounds consistent with those which our Lord, which our Lord suffered during his passion and death. Catholics revere it as one of the most foremost relics of Christ. It presents clear evidence supporting the historical reality of Christ's life, passion, and death. St. John's Gospel uh, mentions it in the passage recounting St. Peter and John running to find the empty tomb of, of Christ in John chapter 20, verse 4 to 7. The shroud also displays unexplainable 3D distance information which resembles a topographical map of Christ's body as well as elements resembling a negative photograph image that when viewed as a positive Im image show the physical sufferings endured by the man wrapped in the shroud. The image does not penetrate the shroud's fabric but only sits on top. Mm -hmm. Kind of like Our Lady Guadalupe's image uh, when it's yeah. studied they say that the the the, the image is right, is is just disconnected from the actual um, uh, mantle. Mm -hmm. It's just like floating right over it. Right. The famous and see people can verify this, but people don't want to. Ruben, people want to remain. They want to remain blind to scientific facts that validate Catholic miracles because you know what that would mean. 
conversion. <laughs> they, okay. And they don't want to do that. They, people are stuck in their sinful ways. They don't want to change their, their sinful, wretched, disordered lifestyle. You know, you know, just living a life of pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. If they would verify these scientific facts that validate these miracles, they would say, man, the Catholic Church is that church of miracles. It's the church of Jesus Christ. It's the only one that has these miracles around the world. I guess if there is a God, he started the Catholic Church. I got to become a Catholic. Oh, no, but that means I got to change my ways. Mm-hmm. I can't live with my girlfriend no more. The, the, people are just stuck. In, on, on, on their sinful habits because we have the evidence on our side. Last paragraph. The famous 1988 carbon-14 dating studies upon the Shroud declared with 95% confidence that the Shroud dated only from 1260 to 1390 AD. A team of scientists from the University of Oxford, the Oxford University of Arizona, and the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich published their findings in Nature magazine in early 1989. Since then, the carbon-14 dating has been used to debunk the belief that the shroud is the burial cloth of our Lord and instead labeled it as a fake. Mm. And well, I think the article talks about it later on, but yeah, they just they mixed the swath that they were using the, with some that had to be—they uh, added to, to the, um, you know, the, the, the original cloth— so um, it kind of got mixed mixed in there. So of course, the, you know you're you're going to get different dates. But I just thought it was interesting when I looked at that that passage, John twenty to four through seven. It's almost as if the you know the Holy Spirit wanted us to uh, that he later on we were going to find out about these these linen wrappings. And let me just read it here. It says the two were running together. This is you know John and Peter were running to the the tomb. And uh, and but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus's head, not lined with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. And mm-hmm. we almost like overlook that when we're reading the the, the this passage. But, you know, when you're talking about the shroud, then you go back and you see that. It goes, wow, maybe it yeah, was left there intentionally and it was going to, you know, it was going to be preserved, no doubt. And and I just thought it was uh, I just thought it was pretty cool to to see that uh, that, that popped out to me. That's what I'm saying is that, that Ruben, there, there's a pretty, you know, for being 2000 years removed, there's a pretty good chain of custody. You look at other articles for the Shroud of Turin. And you know about chain of custody because yep. that's something that cops deal with in a court of law. When you get the evidence, okay, before it got here to the judge, to the jury, how many people have tampered with this evidence or who's, who's handled this evidence? They want to know exactly dates and names. The Shroud of Turin has a pretty impressive uh, chain of custody uh, you know, for being 2,000. I mean, some, we can't even have a chain of custody real accurately. It's something that happened six months ago or two months ago. But for being 2,000 years, we have a pretty strong chain of custody. That's where sacred tradition comes in. Mm. Yeah, go ahead, Jess. Yeah, so new research rejects uh, dating claims of carbon-14. However, Dr. DeCaro's research appears to add yet another nail in the coffin of the much-criticized, although still widely promoted, carbon-14 dating analysis. Far from the the roughly 700-year age attributed to the Shroud, the WAX's research found that the experimental results are compatible 
with the hypothesis that the Turin Shroud is a 2,000-year-old relic as supposed by Christian tradition. Dr. DeCaro used a fabric sample from the same area used in the 1988 carbon dating study. Unlike carbon-14 dating, the wax WAXS method does not harm the sample, thus allowing the same material to be used for future research. In his research published on Italy's Department of Chemical Sciences and Material Technologies website, Dr. DeCaro defended his findings. He highlighted possible flaws which could lead to inaccurate readings from carbon-14 dating, which do not exist in the wax method. Mm-hmm. Moles and bacteria colonizing textile fibers and dirt or carbon-containing materials such as limestone, adhering to them in the empty spaces between the fibers that at a microscopic level represent about 50% of the volume can be so difficult to completely eliminate in the sample cleaning phase, which can distort the dating. In fact, the fabric can be enriched with new carbon-14 assimilated through the life cycle of living beings uh, belonging to epochs subsequent to the one in which the textile product was made. Hmm. Continue. He also said um, this new campaign of dating measures through wax could allow us to confirm that the sheet, which the Christian tradition associates with the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, has precisely 2,000 years of history, defining a very important piece, the temporal one, of the complex puzzle that the Shroud of Turin still represents for science today. So uh, we'll pick this up on the other side um, and talk about where it goes from here. To Jesus 911, we'll be right back. Don't change that dial. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, we are back. And one of our listeners, Keith, uh, texted me about the shroud. He reminded me that uh, uh, that there's a, a shroud of Turin Center at the Santiago Retreat Center in Orange County. California. Oh, that's right. And uh, it has pretty extensive... Uh, a collection of research info on the Shroud of Turin. So thanks for that, Keith. It's uh, you, I guess you can, you want to look it up, uh, SantiagoRetreatCenter.org. That's SantiagoRetreatCenter.org. If you can, uh, and so it's right here in our backyard. We can uh, go out and, and find out more information on this if you so care to do. Well, let me just mention something else about the Shroud. Is that here's something that uh, it, it keeps scientists it keeps scientists baffled. The decomposed body on the, of the shroud that was wrapped inside, or the, the dead body that was inside the shroud, it emitted 34 trillion watts of ultraviolet radiation from every single part of the body to color the shroud of Turin. Mm-hmm. Okay? L- l- look, at, look at the type of 34 trillion watts of ultraviolet radiation emitted from every part of the body, every cell of the body that was wrapped in the shroud to give us the image of the, of the shroud of Turin. Uh, Ruben, that, that type of power is something that we can't even compute. Yeah. Uh, you know, th- this, is, this, is a type, this is some type of... Science, some scientists say it was, it was supernatural light. In other words, we can't, we can't reproduce that type of light with what we have here on planet Earth. It was a supernatural light that emitted from that dead body 
throughout the entire shroud. Yeah, amazing, amazing. So, but why? So, why the insistence on the shroud as a medical fate? And and this and we Jesse touched on that earlier. But Robert Rucker, he's a nuclear analyst. He, he turned shroud Turin researcher. Um, is another way uh, many experts who take issue with the carbon fourteen shroud dating. In a in a paper published in July of 2020, he he highlighted 15 problems with the suggested age derived from the carbon 14 study. The mainstream media blindly accept the studies. They they want the the mainstream media to do that, and they do. They right. blindly accept the study's conclusion verbatim, despite numerous issues with the dating procedure. And uh, basically, he, he regarding the image uh, of the figure on the shroud, he said. The characteristics of the image are so unique, it's impossible for the image to have been made in 1260 to 1390 because the technology did not exist and still does not exist. This is indicated by the failure of all modern attempts to produce an image of a face that is macroscopically and microscopically correct using only materials and abilities available to people in the Middle Ages. And DiCarlo's findings are also supported by another shrouded turn researcher, Joseph Marino, who recently published an 800-page book detailing numerous questionable actions, errors, and contradictions regarding the carbon-14 dating methods, which included multiple versions of the sizes and weights of the chosen samples. And after three laboratories curiously refused to release the study data for several years, a Freedom of Information legal request in 2017 revealed that the carbon-14 study uh, tested a piece of the shroud that had been repaired and was thus composed of both 1st and 16th century cloth. So, boom, there you go. That's uh, In a court of law, Jesse, that would be be dismissed. They would dismiss the case. They would say that's that's not, uh, that evidence is not not standing. You know, you're not going to stand with it. That's right. In, In a 2021 interview, an inside Vatican reporter noted how, quote, Marino says his book points to irrefutable proof that 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 politics, along with personal agenda, was the main theme of the carbon 14 dating of the shroud. Close quote. Mm-hmm. Indeed, the mainstream media's fascination with and insistence on debunking the Shroud of Turin lends itself to becoming a stepping stone from which to, uh, to attack Catholicism by ridiculing the veracity of the shroud which provides historical evidence of Christ's passion and death, leftists can then attack the existence of Christ, as does James Lynn Page in his book, quote, The Christ Enigma, Did Jesus Really Exist? Mm. However, the renewed evidence of scientific research, as conducted by Dr. DiCaro, appears to defend beyond doubt the historical and scriptural reality that the Shroud of Turin is the burial cloth of our Lord Jesus Christ. One more thing I want to mention is that many scientists, again, once again, going back to this this explosion of light that came from this dead body that was wrapped inside the Shroud, many scientists, too many to count, uh, they say that that there's no way that this could be the work of medieval forgers because in the Middle Ages, much less even now, we don't possess that type of light, that type of brilliance. Mm-hmm. And so many scientists have said that in the Middle Ages, they would, they would say the only way this happened is that was, that was a supernatural flash of light. A supernatural flash of light. Because when you look at uh, the wattage that it takes to produce that light and that image in the shroud, 
It's something that we don't even possess, much less in the Middle Ages, Reuben. Right. When the Son of Man, when he, when he died on the cross, there was thunder and, and, and rain, and, and the temple in the, in the uh, curtain in the temple tore from the top. And, you know, that, it's just the, the power of our Lord, and, and this is just another example of it. So we, um, you know, the Catholic Church has, we have numerous uh, artifacts and relics that that we have we we hold dearly to us, you know, like the the crown of thorns and uh, Veronica's veil. Yeah, there you go. The, Veronica's veil, Our Lady Guadalupe's mantle, the shroud of Turin, uh, the bodies of the incorruptibles, right, the, uh, the saints, Eucharistic miracles. Things, the, yeah, yeah Ruben. Jesus Christ said that he would v- validate and verify his gospel through miracles. There is no religion on planet Earth that has the miracles like the Roman Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And not only do we have the miracles that we've documented, but a lot of them can still be seen right now. Again, when you look at, for example, some of the Eucharistic miracles that happened in the 7th, 10th century, 11th centuries, you could still see them right now. The Shroud of Turin, Our Lady of Guadalupe, uh, Veronica's Veil, the incorruptible bodies of saints. These are miracles that you could see right now as a rational skeptic, and you can see that the Catholic Church is the only church that could produce these type of miracles. Let me just mention one more thing about the, the, the prior topic that we started with, because I just I found it. Uh, here are several people that are they're no lightweights. They're, uh, they said that uh, Annabelle Bonini... Mm-hmm. was uh, Father Bonini, who later became uh, Archbishop Bonini. He was elevated. He was uh, a Freemason. The He was the chief architect of Sacrosanctum Concilium at Vatican II, which was a document, the commission on the, on the Mass, the Sacred Mass. Who says that he was a Freemason? Terry Barber had a personal conversation about 20 years ago with Abbot, Abbot Boniface. Abbot Boniface mm-hmm. uh, was a was an, uh, an expert at Vatican II. They call him a, a peritus, peritus at Vatican II. He sat there in the commission with Annabelle Bonini. He passed away about 10 years ago. Terry and Father Fessio went and interviewed him. They have a three-hour interview with him. It's recorded. And in that interview, Abbot Boniface, Boniface Lukey, who, was, who sat next to Bonini at Vatican II, he was one of the last Vatican II expert survivors, he says that, uh, Archb- that, that uh, yeah, Archbishop uh, Bonini was a Freemason. Who else says this? Father Malachi Morton says this in several of his books. Who else says this? Dr. Robert Moynihan. He's not exactly some conspiracy theorist. He's the editor of Inside the Vatican. Dr. Robert Moynihan. Who else says this? Father Charles Murr. In his book, it just came out. The book is called Murder in the 33rd Degree. Mm. Murder in the 33rd Degree. Father Charles Murr was at Vatican II as a young youth, right out of seminary. He was a secretary to Bishop Gagnon, who later became Cardinal Gagnon, uh, and so, Ruben, it, it's it's very well documented uh, for those naysayers out there that are saying oh, these guys are into conspiracy theories. It's funny. What we call a conspiracy theory six months to a year later seems to turn out to be the truth. <laughs> right. Yep, that's right. <laughs> that's crazy. The the the, the left, uh, they, they have their ways of, of trying to accuse of, of things that they're they're doing, the cover ups that they're doing. So. Uh, it's it's funny. Father Brian Harrison's another one that that says the same thing. So, uh, Ruben, here's something. Here's also something also interesting about going back to you know miracles. Benny Hinn, you could see him on the internet. Uh, I, I actually played the clip on the Terry and Jesse show a while back ago. <laughs> they asked Benny Hinn, uh, 
you know, he's one of the big icons of the TBN channel from the health and wealth, you know, prosperity gospel yeah. movement. They asked him, in which church are there more miracles? Now, so there's like 10,000, 15,000 people in the audience. They're expecting him to say something like, oh, yeah, in my church, in the, in the Pentecostal church or in uh, T. Jiggs church or in, uh, you know, yeah. you know, all these Pentecostals that are on TBN channel. That's what they were expecting him to say. Benny Hinn said, he said, there are more miracles in the Roman Catholic Church than in any other church in the world. I mean, the oh. the, the crowd fell silent. Mm. Then he qualified his statement. He said, that's because they have the Eucharist and we don't. Oh, my goodness. Benny Sin said this, Ruben. It's on YouTube. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, that just... That indicts him even further, Jesse, because he knows, you know, to know and and to not act on your, you know, uh, what's been revealed to you. Then exactly, ah, exactly. You're, it'd be, it'd be better that he had not been given that revelation to die, yeah, to die in invincible ignorance hmm. than to die knowing it. Because the catechism is very clear. How do you get to heaven? I'll make it very simple. You must accept truth. Who is truth? It's a person. His name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Son of God. But he it's a package deal. When you believe in Jesus, it isn't me and Jesus only. Jesus has a bride. Yep. It's called the church. So when you believe in Jesus, here's the, the Protestant and the Catholic distinction. Protestants have a solitary view. They see Jesus as a single man, so to speak, as a bachelor. Okay? We see Jesus as the bridegroom, as it says in the scriptures, New Testament. And the church is his bride. That's what it says in the New Testament. So when we believe in Jesus as Catholics, we believe in the whole package deal, the whole marriage, because Christ is married to a bride called the church, and that church historically is a Catholic church. So there's, that's a distinction between Catholics and Protestants. They have a bachelor Jesus who doesn't have a bride, and we believe in the Jesus of the New Testament who's called the bridegroom, and the church is called his bride. Yep, and Jesus doesn't have multiple wives okay negative negative that's right that's, he's not that ain't a, happening not a polygamist he has one bride okay amen so. anyway you've been listening to jesus 911 uh yet yeah, if you find that the shroud uh information interesting uh continue dive deeper into this there's a lot yeah, to, exactly anyway stay tuned for hands-on apologetics with gary mishuda and we are out we are 10 7 out okay also remember june 18th the men's conference here in Covina, California. That's right. Market calendar, June 18th. All right. We'll be right. We'll be, we'll be back on Thursday. Well, I'll be back on Thursday. Jesse will be here tomorrow. God bless. Keep the faith.